Welcome everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, can everybody hear me even in the back? Good. Uh, I'd like to begin with just a couple of announcements. Um, one is that on the back table on the right, um, I have my uh, list of various classes that have been put onto CDs. So if you're interested in seeing the list or having a copy, help yourself. And you can also sign there for what, which, it, for any of the classes that you'd like to get copies of. And then they'll be sent to you. They're on regular CDs. If you're interested in having them on MP3s to put on your um, on your phone or, or iPod, uh, I brought the one on relationships and the one on how early life affects relationships. So you can see me for those if you're interested. Um, the book that we'll be using today is my book called The Power of Coincidence, How Life Shows Us What We Need to Know. That's our topic, and that is also on the back table. And... Um, Maybe we can begin with just a short paragraph from the introduction. If our life unfolded only according to our plans, however sensible or overblown or constricted, we might miss out on many surprises we might fail to notice how new doors are opening and ushering us into relationships that stretch and fashion us into works of art. Our life as designed by our cautious mind might not include all the twists and turns that lead to the release of really creative energy or to the clash of forces that make us really extraordinary. Perhaps all is happening in life just as we intend. Then suddenly we meet somebody, or find out something, or have an accident, or hit bottom, and our whole world spins in a new direction that ultimately makes all the difference. Those unexpected events beyond our control are the forces of synchronicity that make us who we are and who we were meant to be. And specifically today, I'll be concentrating on how synchronicity, that is meaningful coincidence, applies to relationship, not only intimate relationships, but relationships in general. That is our overall focus, but I want to begin with a review of what synchronicity is and what it's about so that we're all kind of on the same page. And I'm very open to questions as we go along. We have somebody with a microphone, so 
I'll check in with you um, at the end of each phase of this uh, to see if you have any questions. So first of all, the word synchronicity, uh, the S-Y-N, this word was made up by Jung, who, who talked about this concept, Carl Jung. The S-Y-N part simply means with or in keeping with or together with. And the second part, the current C-H-R-O-N means time. So synchronicity is basically how something occurs in time that lines up with what will be happening in your life journey as its next step. And the specific way that this shows itself is through coincidence. Two things happen at the same time and from these, from this coincidence, we start to notice a particular meaning that represents more than a simple coincidence. So there is such a thing as a simple coincidence. Synchronicity is a meaningful coincidence. Simple example. You get a new job and uh, they bring you to your office. The person who had this office before you uh, has gone on to another job and she or he had the same first name that you have. Well, that is simply a coincidence. If it turns out that you meet this person later at a party and you start a conversation with this person and you become very close with one another, then something has occurred that's meaningful. It's a coincidence that you just happened to meet this person and it's meaningful because it turned into the kind of relationship that either challenged you in some way or comforted you in some way. So the expression, we want to be careful of the expression, there are no coincidences, because one, that has the flavor of superstition, you don't want to go that way. And secondly, as you look at it carefully, when someone says there are no coincidences, it's as if we somehow had control of what's going on. And so we can uh, trust that, quote, everything happens with a particular meaning or for a particular purpose. I'm very wary of that kind of statement. It's, it, it seems like um, we're trying to have too much of a hold 
even stranglehold on what happens in life. And uh, this kind of world that we live in doesn't really work that way. We've noticed that things happen to us that um, are way beyond our control. So synchronicity is in that category. And uh, it kind of opens us to uh, a wonderful, very specific archetype called the assisting force. This is the archetype. Religiously, this is called grace. And this is the uh, person, place, or thing that the hero or heroine in a story finds help from to reach the goal. At the same time, there are afflicting forces. I'll give an example of this. There are afflicting forces in a story, and these are the persons, places, or things who try to stop the hero or heroine from reaching the goal. So in Wizard of Oz, the assisting forces are the three friends that she met, and the, they're the, the mortal forces, and then the good witch is a kind of immortal force. And then the afflicting forces are the cruel witch and her army, and, and they're trying to stop Dorothy from achieving her goal. So if you look at your own life, you'll notice that there have been some people who have assisted you and some who have afflicted you. Ultimately, even the afflicting forces are assisting if you confront them and engage with them in such a way as either to not let them stop you or to gain their power. So when Dorothy uh, threw water on the witch and she started to melt, she basically gave up her power over Dorothy, and Dorothy realized she had more strength than she thought she had. Follow what I mean? So in that sense, the afflicting forces and the assisting forces all work together so that we can move along on our path. And our path is both psychological and spiritual. So I'll be coming back to that distinction. But let me say one more thing about this. A lifetime seems to have uh, a lineup of confused or sometimes even chaotic events whereas a story has a lineup 
of events and characters that advance the plot in a certain direction. So if you take a story like Star Wars, it uh, begins with Luke um, living with his aunt and uncle, and then he, uh, then they die, and he uh, meets Obi Wan Kenobi, and then he finds out that he has a particular task waiting for him, that he he is called to serve the galaxy, and that this will mean that he will have help from some friends, like Han Solo and so forth, and the computers. And then he will also have afflicting forces, that's Darth Vader. And then the story is lined up so that he meets all these characters at just the right time, and by the end of the story, he realizes that he's related to the dark side, that he's the son of his great enemy. That's a way of saying, I acknowledge my shadow side. And uh, he achieves his goal. And there are plot devices and characters <coughs> all lined up in the story that make it uh, come out in a way that is... Uh, entertaining and at the same time makes a lot of sense. Now, what synchronicity does is it says that every lifetime is like a story. That when you look over your life, you will see a series of coincidences that lined up various opportunities and griefs, and that the purpose of these opportunities and griefs was to advance you in the fulfillment of your purpose in this galaxy. So so to quote Jung, there is no room for chance in the meaningful world of the psyche. So in this meaningful world of synchronicity, it isn't a series of confused events. It's a lineup of meaningful events that somehow show you who you are and shows the world who you are. And it will not all be pleasant. It will not all be uh, opportunities. It'll have some griefs in it. But when you put all these together, you come to your wonderful goal in life, which is to be you for the benefit of others. The Bodhisattva vow. Bodhisattva, the enlightened person who is not satisfied just with his own enlightenment, but wants to share it with everyone. From our Buddhist perspective, that's a suitable life purpose. What is the suitable life purpose? To 
live a life of loving kindness and integrity, a life that is enlightened, and to vow to contribute this to others. So when we look at our life, we see various coincidences, various twists and turns. They're not confused events. They all come together to make you the person you are. This doesn't mean that, it's again, it's not superstitious. It's not as if you didn't make some choices that did not take advantage of opportunities and you made other choices that led to more griefs than you really had to have. <clears throat> I understand that, and we're all in that boat. <clears throat> but somehow, <clears throat> as long as there's a now, then it's never too late to go from here. So when Pinocchio made his series of mistakes, <clears throat> listening to the <clears throat> excuse me listening to the fox and the cat listening to the man who ran the circus listening to the man who offered uh, to offered the land of ice cream a whole series of very bad choices not listening to his conscience that was trying to guide him toward becoming real becoming the real you he made bad choices. But none of that matters because he later got the chance to enter the belly of the whale and try to save his father and friends. So as long as he came to a new now and made a new choice, none of the mistakes matter isn't this an optimistic view? Yeah. <laughs> I really do think so. So, um, so in that sense, as long as there's a now, there's still the chance for a you. Now we see why in uh, mindfulness the accent is on here and now because that will be the new creation, the new beginning no matter what the past has looked like, we're uh, always able to start from here, shall we say. Okay, let's have a couple of questions. And the, this is my introduction. So ask any questions you have on the overall topic of synchronicity. Yeah, go ahead. Hi. Hi. Doesn't uh, the ego need a story to make sense out of grief and opportunity? I mean... You need to explain. Somehow you'll need a story, right? Mm -hmm. And isn't that just self-importance, that we need a story to make sense out of grief and opportunity? Um, he's asking about making sense out of grief and opportunity. And sometimes we're putting the accent on avoiding the griefs as opposed to going through them. I mean, that's a big part of our society. And 
At other times, we're not taking advantage of the opportunities, and sometimes we are. Um, the idea here is that the real you will be the one that has finally freed itself from the ego having such a full stranglehold on who we are. I, I get that, but can't, okay. won't the ego also make sense out of struggles and grief into somehow this has some purpose or, you know, somehow my life has purpose. Yes, he's saying um, no matter what, the we try to look at our life and see that it did have some purpose or does have some purpose. That seems reasonable. Yeah. The kind of purpose that the ego might come up with, I have to make as much money as I can, I have to be in as much control as I can, I have to uh, have exactly uh, everything that I want. That kind of purpose would be smaller than the purpose of our enlightened true nature, which, which would sound something like this. I want to be a person of full integrity in all my choices. I want to act with loving kindness toward myself and all beings. That's the fulfillment of my life purpose. See how different those two would be? So that's another part of um, coming to the place of, of finding yourself really. We don't find ourselves using only the tools and purposes of the ego. That's why spirituality has so much to do with letting go of ego. It's not as if you're killing it off. It's just that you're uh, noticing it and, and um, not being tied only to what it recommends. That's why people have come along assisting forces in the course of history came along who showed us that there was another kind of purpose uh, one could have. People like Buddha, Christ, St. Francis, Gandhi, Martin Luther King. They pointed out, wait a minute, it's, it's, not, about, it's not about building the ego it's about um, being yourself for others. I guess my question is how much weight to give those experiences? You know, where maybe you just talked about a place you want to visit or a song that's in your head or something, and then, you know, two hours later you're confronted with it. You're like, wow, is this, that can't just be coincidence. Um, but I guess my, the background is how much of it is perspective? You know, they say, like, when you get a new car, all of a sudden you notice on the road you know, all that same type of car, you know, that you may not have before? Oh, is that just a coincidence? If not, and then I guess somewhat related extension to the previous question. I remember from my you know, intro to psychology undergrad class that schizophrenia is attributing, you know, overly meaning to every little thing. Mm -hmm. So how does that tie in and how do you keep, you know, even keel <laughs> in this whole process? Thank you. Okay, I think I get what you mean. You're saying 
we wouldn't want to overdo it and imagine meanings when they're not really there. Is that the exactly, idea? Exactly. Basically, my, that was my understanding. You know, schizophrenia is basically somebody who thinks every little second may have a meaning. How do you know if it's fictional? How do you know if it is, as you say, you know, sinking in with the true energy of the universe? Um, yeah, how do the signposts you take it like, wow, this is a religious experience versus, you know, I got to take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Um, well, let me begin with, um, he's asking about how do you know if something is truly meaningful? So I'll just begin with Jung's way of, of answering this. He says, uh, something is meaningful when it combines what's going on with you interiorly, including in your unconscious and what's happening to you in your conscious life. And he even came up with a a style of working with this, which he called the active imagination. So you take the dream that you had, that you remember, let's say a recent dream that you still remember. And that that dream came from your unconscious came to you while you were asleep, unconscious. And this dream had certain characters, like characters in a story. So you consciously take the part of each of these characters. So I am the character who did the good thing, and I'm also the character who did the bad thing. And this fleshes out or expands your sense of what is going on inside you. So you're finding out more about who you really are. That is what is meaningful. So that's one way of looking at meaning. And the other way is, it's meaningful when I recognize in it an opportunity for spiritual practice, or for psychological growth. Example, I, um, I get fired from a job, and my ego is all upset by this, and I want somehow to get back at the people who fired me. That's one way to <coughs> respond, which is an ego style. Or, at some point, I could say, wait a minute, this is an opportunity to go beyond my ego and look at what has just happened and grieve it and ask myself, where do I go from here? And at the same time, speak up assertively if I feel I was fired unfairly. That would be the opportunity and the fulfillment of the wonderful challenge that came to you from being fired psychologically and spiritually, you would gain from it because it brings you to your practice of loving kindness. I still want to have loving kindness for all the people that I worked with, no matter what. Then meaningful means you found two opportunities in what happened. One that helped you grow psychologically 
And secondly, something that helps you grow spiritually. And that's when you do this, then you have created a synchronicity. So instead of just being fired, just a simple event, you turned it into a coincidence. It just so happens that by being fired, I wound up being more psychologically healthy, being more spiritually conscious. This gave me more creativity to go to a whole new kind of job, maybe even work for myself, and my whole life changed. So being fired was an example of synchronicity thanks to how I responded to its opportunity. And everything in life offers the opportunity for spiritual practice. So in that sense, anything can be meaningful. Everybody following? Make sense? Uh, Hold it one sec. I'm sorry, I didn't get what you said about the characters. And the... Characters in a dream. You have a dream about one person stealing from another person. And so when you wake up, instead of thinking there's something wrong with you, you say to yourself, how am I like the one who did the stealing and how am I like the one from whom something was stolen? Then what's as you start to dialogue with those two characters and take the part of each one, you find out more about you. Now the dream has become an opportunity for me to peer into what I'm really about. Remember that the purpose of grammar school was not to help you find out who you really are. <laughs> purpose was to teach you the th- uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic and how to s- get in line and stay there and keep your mouth shut and listen and so forth. And these are all good skills, but uh, it would be asking too much to say that, oh, they wanted to help each person find his unique self. Sometimes even our families didn't try for that. It's go, it'll be up to us to go there. And this will be, this example I gave of working with a dream is uh, certainly um, one way to do this. By the way, there, there's a whole chapter in the book on how to work with dreams because they're full of synchronicity. You could even have a dream about something that's about to happen or a warning. That is not superstition. Because in the In the unconscious, there is no time. Time is in conscious life, but in unconscious, there's no past or future. It's just all simultaneously, your whole life is simultaneously present. Sorry, I have a question. Um, What you say, it seems like it's... uh, it seems very. It's for me. It's not easy when I have the ego voice and the spiritual voice inside myself, and there is a lot of conflict with that. So, yes. And sometimes maybe it's a good thing to fulfill the ego in order to let it go, and not to. Yes, to, to, to absolutely. To sometimes we want to come from the ego place because it's a useful tool. 
We just don't want to do it in a bullying way. And other times we want to go beyond it and find something else that's also in us. We're, as uh, Walt Whitman says, I'm, I'm greater than I thought. I have, there's more to me. So what do we do with the conflict? Uh, you engage with your conflicts <laughs> rather than run from them. And that will also be the way we're going to be working in relationships. So when conflicts come up, uh, what do we mean by engage? Basically three things. First, instead of running away from whatever your conflict is, either within yourself or with others, you look directly at it. So you're going to address the conflict rather than try to avoid it. So that would be the, you cut yourself and you go to the doctor to see if you need stitches. So the first thing he'll have to do is look at it. That's, that's addressing. Secondly, you explore the feelings that go with the conflict. For instance, I feel sad or I feel angry or I feel afraid. And you specifically want to go to your felt sense of each feeling. You want to look at how these feelings are reminiscent, if they are, of childhood experiences and perhaps conflicts from childhood that this is bringing up. This is called exploring or processing, kind of thing you would do in therapy. And finally, when one and two come together, you come to some kind of resolution. So you feel as if you have a sense of closure with your conflict because you have made a decision that... Uh, steps you up or steps you out of it. Okay? Oh, no, right here. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, so earlier you said that synchronicity... Um, becomes a meaningful coincidence that either results in challenge or comfort. So would you engage in comfort in the same way as you would conflict? Yes. Uh, of course, we haven't been taught to enjoy as much as we have to uh, go through the pain of events. But if you stop to think of it, everything in life... Uh, has a comfort or a challenge in it. And I use the example of the little bird in the nest. The robin redbreast is um, 
is uh, brooding, sitting on the little chicks, giving them warmth and comfort. But at a certain moment, she will stop giving the comfort and she will push them out of the nest so that they could face the challenge of flying. And she will time it, synchronicity, she will time it just right so that she will only push them when they're ready to go. And she has an instinct for this. So if you stop to think of it, a relationship that is lined up with that wonderful combination that we see in nature, or a religion, or a kind of work, they're supposed to include both. It's not supposed to be all comfort, and it's not supposed to be all challenge. It's supposed to be the combination, and when that combination happens, that's what helps us grow. So the conflict we mentioned before, uh, it's not supposed to be just a challenge. Uh, at the end of your having, let's say, let's say you use this little technique that I suggest, that whenever I have a conflict within myself or with others, I will address it rather than run from it, experience the feelings it has rather than take a drink or use drugs or or distract myself from it. And I will somehow come up with a resolution that takes the form of a decision to do something differently than I did before. When I act that way, I feel better about myself. I feel, oh, look at me. I did this. Instead of my usual running, denying, and so forth, I actually worked with my conflict and came up with some type of closure for myself. Wow, that's your comfort. You accepted the challenge and you received the comfort. And a good relationship is one that's going to be challenging and comforting all the time. Lovey-dovey, like in early romance, that can't be the full picture. Because the challenge hasn't come in yet. It will soon come. (laughs) But but prior to that, when it's just this, then it can't be quite right. Just as it wouldn't be right if the little chicks grew up and became full, fully adult robins and decided to stay there in the nest... And you look out your window and you see little mama on top of five great big robins. You'd say, something wrong with this picture. (laughs) I have a question that I feel like I need to be delicate in asking because we're in Marin. Um, And I I feel like um, I'm surrounded a lot by, let's just manifest the gratitude of the universe. And... and, um, we'll get everything that we want, sort of a, you know what I mean? Like, just like a lot of talk of manifestation and universe and such. And 
this feels... Oh, yeah, that I can manifest certain changes. I guess. And I'm very suspicious of that because uh, that would be the style of, like, the secret. Exactly. Yeah, and that I, I'm suspicious of that because it sounds, like, controlling. Like, I can be in control of what happens. It ta- does not take into account the possibilities of synchronicity, the strange events and coincidences that will come along and direct you in a certain way. So all of that approach would be the opposite of our topic today. This is the topic of, of what happens, not what we make happen. And a trust that, I, that what happens is all part of the evolution of me in a world of others. And that just the things will happen that will give comfort and, give, and present challenges, that will bring opportunities and present griefs, that will help me grow into a person of character, compassion, and depth. In effect, it's, it's um, a letting go of control. Because there are t- two possibilities. There's what we make happen, what we do, and then what just happens to us. Like you didn't make yourself start to get wrinkles. <laughs> it just happens. Because that goes with getting older. So, so it's not as if everything is in our control. I think, but I'm not fearing that because I'm instead of fearing what happens, I'm trusting that what happens is offering me just the kind of opportunity that helps me evolve. Follow what I mean? I think the part that confuses me on it is sometimes I'll hear, like, you know, trust the universe and the universe will provide. Um, Does that, just that statement, does that sound different than what you're, like, the synchronicity part makes sense to me, but that's where I get confused. Trust that the universe will provide would be another superstition because it sounds like the universe, hi. Sounds like the universe will, uh, Make sure that I get mine. Make sure that I don't lose. Make sure that everything goes the way I want it to go, which, which is my next topic. And, and that is not the way this all lines up. We've noticed that. We've noticed the given that things don't always go my way. See, the only thing we can say about what happens is it will guaranteed give me an opportunity for practice. Practice of what? Of mindfulness and loving kindness. Our two main uh, practices in Buddhism. Guaranteed, whatever happens, will give you an opportunity for mindfulness. To be present in the here and now 
with what has happened without having to judge it, fear it, or control it. That's the mindfulness. Whatever happens will give me an opportunity to love myself, those who are near and dear, and all beings. Guaranteed. But whatever happens will turn out just right? No. Whatever happens is, uh, is just what uh, providence has set up for me so that I will wind up winning? No. So watch out for those kind of superstitious approaches. Everybody follow? But I know there are other questions, but I need to go on, and I'm going to come back to the questions. Um, so let's just continue with this idea of wanting and needing. So you remember the song by the Rolling Stones. You don't always get what you want, but you do always get what you need. Some, yes. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, well, sometimes you get what you want, and sometimes you don't. And some, and, uh, when it comes to relationships, which is my topic today, uh, how how we can apply synchronicity to relationships. We have a certain uh, set of criteria in our mind for the kind of relationship we want. And then we will, let's say, meet someone and have our, um, a, a, a uh, deep connection with this person. And gradually we will realize if we really work with all the things that come up between us, we will gradually see that certain needs that we didn't even know we had have risen, have come up between us, not necessarily being fulfilled, that would be the superstition, but we're being presented with the needs that are left over from childhood. That's the synchronicity. You found the exact person who would activate all the hidden or forgotten or disavowed needs that you carried around in childhood and that were not fulfilled. And somehow, when you met this person, you consciously wanted something from him or her, like a nice relationship with, uh, with um, a relatively conflict-free lifestyle and everything will work out well, good sex and so forth. All reasonable things to want, no problem. But when you were making that conscious decision, your unconscious was also in on the decision. 
And that's the synchronicity that conscious and unconscious actually work together. And had all these leftover needs from childhood, and without even realizing it, you thought, this person will give me what my parents did not give me, or will continue to give me what they did give me. So somehow, in any choice of a partner, there's a connection to the past. That connection to the past and the coincidence of finding exactly the person who will bring up absolutely every leftover conflict, all the unfinished business between you and your parents. And you will even hear yourself speaking like one of your parents. That is a most powerful example of synchronicity. I mean, how did we ever do that? <laughs> Out of all these fish in the sea, how do we choose just the one that would bring everything up? And of course, when, it, when this happened, it happens so that we could finally address, explore, and resolve what was left over from the past. And it could be childhood, or it could even be former relationships. What a wonderful way nature has of making sure that we will not abandon the central task of our entire psychological life, which is to address, explore, and resolve the past so that we can enter fully into the present, which can only happen when we no longer carry around the unfinished, unresolved business of the past. So there's something afoot. There's something at work in this universe of psyches and nature. There's something going on. There's something afoot that wants us to evolve. This is why we can say it's a friendly universe. Friendly in the sense that it's friendly to our growth. It's friendly to our evolution. And, of course, when you address, explore, and seek to resolve the past, it will bring you directly into griefs about how the past did not fulfill your needs. And so that's why we're avoiding even doing this. How do you avoid? Just blame all the problems on the partner. <laughs> Pretty simple. Blame is your key to avoiding grief. It's all her fault. It's all his fault. If he or she was not like this, I wouldn't have this problem. 
So what does a relationship do, synchronicity-wise? It brings you to the partner who will reawaken the ghostly needs that were sleeping inside, wake them up so that they will start talking and they will say things like, I didn't get the attention I needed. I didn't get the acceptance I needed, what I call the five A's. I didn't get the affection I needed. I didn't get the allowing to be myself that I needed. Instead, I was being controlled. And I didn't get the appreciation, the sense of being valued that I needed. The, the, the components of a loving relationship. Someone pays attention to you, accepts you as you are, appreciates you, um, and at the same time allows you to be yourself. That's what you're looking for. And uh, a relationship reminds you of where or when it happened or didn't happen. Uh, This poem by Emily Dickinson helps us understand this a little better because I want to just remind us of the grief part of it. See, when the needs were not fulfilled in childhood, then everyone... So we had certain needs, like the needs for those five A's, and when they were not fulfilled... Since you instinctively knew that they were supposed to be fulfilled, that's why you have parents. Just like the little robin knows that she's supposed to keep me warm, she's supposed to feed me, and she's supposed to push me out. Those are the three things she's supposed to do. Instinctively, the little ones know that. So when they're pushed out, they're not shocked. They're just, they they instinctively know, okay, those are the three things she's supposed to do, and she is doing them. We have five things they were supposed to do, but they didn't always do them. So this would feel like a loss. So, so notice this, uh, and, and then, instead of simply grieving the loss, which is the next place to go, and let it go and move on. Instead of that, we try to find fulfillment in some new adult. Basing your relationship on that, I want to find the one who will make up for what parents didn't give would be, according to this poem, looking in the wrong direction. A loss of something ever felt I, the first that I could recollect, bereft I was of what I knew not, too young that any should suspect, a mourner walked among the children. 
I, notwithstanding, went abroad, as one bemoaning a dominion, herself the only prince cast out. Elder today, a session wiser, and fainter too as wiseness is, I find myself still softly searching for my delinquent palaces. And a suspicion, like a finger, touches my forehead now and then that I am looking oppositely for the sight of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> kingdom of heaven is within. So she's saying, okay, I didn't get what I needed in childhood. I went out, sought it in other adults, and then at one, some point I got it. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, instead, let me just explain that 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 she she thinks to herself, well, you know, I'm I'm just looking in the wrong direction, and so uh, we do that. We go and look in the wrong direction because we're we just don't want to go through the real way of working it out, which is grieve, let go, move on. And that takes many years to do. This is a lifelong work. But the point remains that the meeting of someone... We're going to take a break soon, but I'm going to talk about the meeting of people and the kind of issues that arise between people as we go on. So the meeting of your important partner is definitely synchronicity. Just as is the meeting of your own parents the moment at which your parents met was synchronicity because it had had the meaning of you. They didn't know that in in that moment, but the moment at which they met was the start of the story of you. So in that sense, every person... Uh, begins with synchronicity. Could there be a more powerful spiritual force than this? And I'm so glad we're looking at it. So let's take a short break, and then we will come back, and and then I'll start with the questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.